Welcome to season two of For the Love of Jewelers, a podcast connecting people engaged in the craft and industry of jewelry making. Brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supplies and hosted by yours truly, Courtney Gray. While navigating through this time, we realize the need to stay home, be safe, and stay inspired. We are truly all in this together. I'm honored and excited to take you on this journey to discover not only the how, but why we make jewelry. My goal is not only to inform you, but to empower you by sharing the passion, perspective, and perseverance of your fellow makers and professionals in all facets of the craft. Let's dive in. Susan Wheeler is a jewelry designer and the founder of the Chicago Responsible Jewelry Conference and nonprofit Responsible Jewelry Transformative. Susan creates cause jewelry, jewelry where the supply chain is built on purpose-driven purchases. As founder of the Chicago Responsible Jewelry Conference, Susan has brought a global perspective to change within the jewelry industry, amplifying the voice of those from all ends of the supply chain. The newly founded nonprofit, the Responsible Jewelry Transformative Mission, is to facilitate equity, transparency, and knowledge throughout the jewelry industry supply chain and elevate those voices in the mining community through action, initiatives, and education. Hi, Susan Wheeler. Thank you for joining us on For the Love of Jewelers. Um, so excited to introduce you to the community that have not had a chance to hear and see what you're doing uh, within the industry. Um, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and I'm happy to meet you. I've known about you and about the conference that you that you uh, began and founded, but uh, so excited to spend some time with you today. And uh, so let's just start with, I just want to hear a little bit about you. When did you start making jewelry? It's been well over 20 years now. Um, I actually came to jewelry late. I was an art major in college, and then I worked on getting my master's in fiction writing. I started doing jewelry to get back into tactile art, and it became a full-time profession when uh, I went to JCK and I showed at the design center. I kind of went from a hobby to making jewelry for friends to trunk shows, and then once you hit Vegas, it becomes national. <laughs> so it's it's been a it's been a while, and it's just been a journey that I've been along. You know, just have been along for the ride. Yeah, 20 years. That's amazing. I'm about the same. Yeah. Um, so you started when you were 15, 14. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, why, why jewelry? And you say getting back into tactile. Tell me more about what you did pre-jewelry. Well, I was doing writing. Uh, as an art major, I really liked like, you know, video art, conceptual art. I was always really into the the conceptual. And when I started doing, getting into jewelry, it was easy here in Chicago because we have Lil Street Art Gallery, which has, it's a fantastic place for just hobbyists or somebody to learn and begin there. So I, I began there. We also have through the Chicago Park District, three jewelry studios um, that have equipment. They also have lapidary equipment. So Chicago is a really friendly, easy place to learn. It's different than, you know, I didn't go to art school for jewelry, which is amazing. Um, there's so many good programs uh, in the U.S. that have metalsmithing, but that wasn't, you know, I came to jewelry a little bit later in life um, after I had my first kid started school, preschool. And so it was just Chicago's an easy community to get to go in at your own pace. That's awesome. You know, you're reminding me, I got to visit Chicago and see Little Street and it was an amazing facility. How cool to have that nearby and everything. I mean, it's three stories, two stories. It felt really big. <laughs> All kinds of different crafts. Yeah. Yeah. It's three stories. And um, and Chicago's, an, you know, besides Little Street, besides that we have actual lapidary equipment at our park districts, we also have an active, I think one of the best jewelry communities. We have Five South Wabash and the whole Jewelers Mall and three buildings there um, with gem dealers, uh, casting houses, um, diamond traders. So we, and, you know, some manufacturers as well coming out of Chicago. So we have a, we have a great easy city to do jewelry in, no matter whether you want to stay a hobbyist or whether you want to go and be a national or international jewelry designer. Yeah. So did you, when you started, was it more about just getting that tactile 
back, you know, the, getting the dexterity back. And then, and then you did start selling, you mentioned at trunk shows and fr- I feel like friends are always the first clients. Yes. <laughs> Was that true for you? I, yeah. I still have friends that are collectors. Um, yeah. And I always was more of a, you know, knowing how to do everything, but a wax person. And then I went into sculpting out of clay, both metal clay and, and just clay now. And so of course, Rio Grande always um, was a good supplier with that. But also now I use uh, equipment here at home. I have a home studio that's, I don't do as much work at home, but I do uh, do my own molds, shoot my own waxes and um, do a lot of the models here at home still. But my sculpting for the models can be from any sort of clay. So are you doing cold molds then, Susan? Or I do silicone uh, molds. Oh, okay. silicone molds of, uh-huh, yeah. So you're actually able to sculpt in clay and make the molds. I'm a wax carver too, so but I have not have not made models out of clay. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, I started out with metal clay, but now uh, for sustainability, I... I will use just a natural clay. And also the type of clay that I use depends on how heavy I want the texture to be. So you can do, I don't do a porcelain clay, but I've experimented in porcelains before if you want a really smooth texture. But I like to sun dry the clay and really get the texture of the earth. So uh, the texture that I have, and a lot of this was like a whole kind of discovery in, in, you know, some accidental, accidental discovery, but it used to be when I started out way back when hammering was really in and everyone would make their own hammer and the hammered finishes were the thing. And I wanted to get my own texture. And I thought that was very hard to do at the time because it was so, it was so done, you know, all the hammering textures. So then when I started working with clay and sculpting, uh, I saw that when you dry the clay, it gets this uh, texture around however you bend things. Um, so now if I do a, uh, if I do a bezel out of clay, I can do it directly around the gemstone. And then you see all of the cracks that go all the way around the gem. So to me, it was always feeling like if you have a gem coming up out of the earth, that's what the earth would look like. It would dry and have these cracks from the gems coming up. So that was really, uh, where I was, kind of the thought process behind the texture is that it's all natural. There's no hammers, there, there's no hands. It's the way nature makes textures. Oh, oh, I really like hearing about that. That is so cool. Was there a time when, or that you can recall when it became really important to you to become so involved in the responsible jewelry movement? It was um, really it was through people that were speaking to me that I was learning things that really accelerated the passion that I have now for responsible jewelry. I was using um, certified recycled metals because my, um, my caster is really into recycling. That's her thing. She's a, she's a big recycler, all of our plastic bags, all of our everything um, boxes that we bring in and everything that I use with her. And so she really was already using recycling. And so People recognized that when I was in Vegas. They looked for designers that were saying, I'm using recycled metals. And really, at the time, that's all there really was. There wasn't uh, Fairmind Gold yet. And so when I was showing at Vegas, Fairmind Gold came by to me and said, we see you use recycled metals. How would you feel about using a gold that is you know, from a community, it gives back to a community. Um, we have 20% premiums and it was like fair trade. So they said, this is a program that kind of operates in the same way. And it was really intriguing and really different. And it was the first, I think, of anything of its kind. And so then I ended up moving into fair mind gold and that really then, you know, you, people see you using that. And then the and then kind of awareness of gemstones came about. So people started to speak to me about um, where is your gem? Do you know where your gemstones are from? About artisanal small scale miners. So I was really learning kind of on the early stage of this. But there wasn't a lot out there. So as I was growing as a designer, this movement was growing as well. And so... 
I was learning more with all of the new initiatives that were coming out. But they're really, you know, early on, there wasn't a lot out there. So it's been kind of um, a tight knit group that's been growing that had these roots and, uh, and that I've been learning from. And uh, it's just been kind of an experience as I go along and constantly learning more. And now there's really a lot happening. I mean, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing where we are now. That's so exciting. That's it's neat. So you were basically just exposed to these changes kind of as part of your journey and became important to you. Sounds like you're also someone who's very aware working with the clay that these materials are from the earth and they're pretty sacred and important. And if we don't pay attention to this, it could change, you know, it is changing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in so many ways, I mean, it's, it's sacred, the, um, and important environmentally and also with the humans that mine them. And, uh, I think that it's, it's sometimes hard for us to remember that, you know, when we're sitting here and in our studios and our, you know, in our businesses and, it's just like going for the, to the grocery store and not knowing, you know, where your meat comes from. Um, but, it, you know, in jewelry here, we can get, and I tell this to the gemstone, um, in our gemstone program, Virtue Gem, and the traders and everyone that we're working with in source countries, it's really hard because in the competition, you can have any gem you want overnighted, and it's there and it's perfect. You know, if you want a six millimeter full cut amethyst, you can get one that's perfect overnight. So that's, um, in that type of a atmosphere, sometimes it's hard for us to remember that someone dug that out of the earth, um, that somebody else cut that, that, you know, all the, the FedEx and everything that it takes to get there. So it's, it's good to remember how precious these things are. Yeah, for sure. Instead of taking it for granted, we're so immediate, you know, it's like click and buy. <laughs> and I know things have kind of slowed in manufacturing in general. So we're all having to pivot a little and, and say, oh, I'm going to order a week in advance instead of and be more conscious with those decisions. Um, try to buy locally, et cetera. You know, I know a, a lot of that has come up. So I want to I want to really take the opportunity with Susan, you guys to to educate. And I feel like you are such an expert on all of this, Susan. And um, so I wonder if we can kind of break it down and pretend that we don't know what any of these mean. <laughs> these There's so many abbreviations to learn and to know about these days. And I like to really, I would like to share that with everybody a little bit deeper. Um, is that okay with you, Susan? Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, so the first one I guess to talk about would be SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Can you talk about that a little bit with us? So the sustainable development goals are really a path for the future. And it is, uh, it took a lot of work of the UN and multiple organizations to put together what do we need to really, uh, it can, we can be development anywhere in the world. What do we need to have a better future for the world? And um, one, the number one sustainable development goal is no poverty. And there's many different ways um, that this is broken down and shown in different initiatives. But there's all the sustainable development goals kind of touch on different areas where we can make a difference. Life on land, life underwater, um, gender equity. So the sustainable development goals are different ways that we can think about. I like to think about in jewelry, like in our making our jewelry, how can we help achieve those sustainable development goals. So um, if, for instance, you are using, um, we could start with Fairmine Gold, that can cover the sustainable development goal of um, fair work practices, safe labor, and um, that ensures that when you buy gold, you're buying gold that is, um, people are safe in their workplace, they're getting fair wages, so that's one way to look at it. Like, so if I use this gold and then say um, I use a gemstone that a woman, a woman miner has gemmed, has, has, sorry, has mined. A woman miner, um, it comes from her mine and she's worked there and she's had um, been able to have a livelihood. Then you have gender equity. So then you have two of the sustainable development goals that you're working on through the creation of your jewelry. 
So it's a, it's a way to think about this. It doesn't, you know, it can be an initiative that goes further corporate responsible initiative, or it can just be, how do I source in my supply chain in a way that's going to do good? That's going to do a little something extra. I think it's a wonderful way to look at your work and to create. And I think it's also, you know, you have to look at the whole picture that you don't want to, um, to you want to focus on doing good and you want to make sure in your supply chain that it's traceable and that it's transparent so that you're not also doing harm while you're trying to do good. And I think that's that's the hard thing because we have such a complicated supply chain as a jewelry industry, but it's so important. It can be so empowering as well. Well, and even like you mentioned, I love the way you put that. Um, it's about the where is it touched, right? How, you know, who's touching it along the process and who's pulling it from the earth and, you know, sh- all the way to shipping, you know, that you mentioned. I think that's a really wonderful way to sit down at the bench and just kind of look at things a little bit differently moving forward. Even if we could touch two or three, like you said, you know, throughout the process. I was reading your blog and um, it mentioned something about to achieve these, the 17 goals that are interconnected and in order to leave no one behind, it's important that we achieve them all by 2030. Is that a, is that something you can talk a little more about? Well, that's, that's coming from the UN and it's, it's a lofty goal. Um, so the, they really go across all sectors and I think they expect, um, they expect we need everyone working on, um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, whether they're corporations or individuals, what can you do as an individual in your own small business to work on these goals? One of the things about jewelry and the Sustainable Development Goals is that a lot of our, especially gemstones, um, but a lot of our minerals, um, the metals and the gems are from artisanal and small-scale miners. And there are over 40 million artisanal and small-scale miners globally. And if you think about how many people in this area have a livelihood, and a lot of them are in um, rural areas, maybe in um, more vulnerable communities. And so if you think about all these people, and if we were able to know that they are benefiting from their gemstones, that they are benefiting from the gold um, in their source countries and benefiting from the diamonds, then we can make a big difference and a big benefit in the lives globally um, that we touch as a jewelry industry. And there's areas where we're not there and there's areas where we're not even close, but then there are a lot of areas and a lot of initiatives that are making a difference. And um, we just need everybody to be focused on making a benefit in the materials that they buy. And that is what would really help. Um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And I think when you look at that number, that over 40 million artisanal small-scale miners, um, there's acknowledgement there that we need to be engaged as an industry in trying to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. It Mm -hmm. might not happen without us all being engaged. Right. Yeah. Everybody needs to, to be aware. And that's what I love about chatting with you today is, you know, again, for me to learn more, Susan, and also to share that with with our community that's, you know, at the bench day to day and doing the work and touching each piece. Um, So artisanal small scale mining or ASM, you guys. um, And I was reading again, between 60 and 150 million people worldwide depend on ASM for their livelihoods. And I think that's, (laughs) it's an amazing number. When I started looking into this, Susan, I was amazed. Well, and you mentioned the Fairmind Gold. What, what year did that come up in your career? Do you remember? I've been using Fairmind Gold, I think, for over five years. I did go and visit the mines in Colombia with a group of Fairmind jewelers. And that was so much fun. It was amazing. Um, I think we had maybe uh, six European designers and five American, five or six American jewelry designers. And we got to go down and meet a lot of the miners in Colombia and visit the mines and see what it was like. And I can tell you that those are just beautiful mines. Uh, some of them, some of the mines that we went into, it was just like a tunnel in the middle of the rainforest. And 
not at all what you're thinking of when you think of, you know, large scale mines and open pits. And the safety standards were so high, I felt completely safe going into these mines. You could stand up, there was lighting, there was oxygen, there were safety rooms. It was what all mining should be. And to see that and then to see um, the co-ops and meet the miners was the most amazing experience. And Fairmind has been an inspiration for me in the program um, that my nonprofit is doing right now, Virtue Gem. And one of the biggest inspirations of Fairmind, besides the fact that we want all mining to look like that, and we don't want mercury and gold. And, you know, if every gold mine was added, it would, it would make a huge difference right now for the Amazon and, and for people globally. But one of the things I really love about Fairmind is the 20% premium that they have on the gold. And so with the premium at Fairmind, we don't decide what happens with that premium. Fairmind doesn't. The premium goes back to the co-op and the, co and the gold mining co-ops decide how to spend that premium. And I took a, um, a list of how the premiums have been spent over the past four years from the Fairmind website. And I love it. They've spent their premiums on um, building chairs for schools on having other miners come into the co-ops, on safety equipment, on churches, on, on things that we would never even think of because we don't know what, you know, they need in their communities. That's not, that's not for us to know because we don't live there. So I love the variety of things. I, I just find it so interesting what the co-ops end up spending their premium on. And when we, um, started this virtue gem program that's gemstones in Kenya and Malawi in Zambia, we started doing a program for COVID and for food drives and, and P and, you know, PPE equipment. Uh, but a lot of times then, you know, one of the, the countries said, we don't need that right now. What we need is school fees because everyone's going back to work now and they need to get their kids back in school. So I like, I like that co-ops that miners are um, empowered by these premiums and they have complete decision making over how a premium should be spent. And I would imagine that, like you said, it's so different depending on where, you know, and what culture, right? Uh, what they need as a culture and, and respecting that I was talking with Tim McCrite and Matthew Chimenez about, you know, the toolbox initiative. And it's so important to them when they go, you know, over to share these tools that they're not uh, stepping on any cultural, you know, they, there's just so much already embedded there. They're, you know, very aware and conscious of not changing that. I just watched Skate Girl. We were talking about our kids skateboarding, yeah. Susan. <laughs> and uh, have you seen this? You need to show it to your no, I, I have it on my list to watch. Yeah. And that. it's all, it's all about, you know, introducing skateboards to this, uh, small village in India and same kind of thing. It changed the whole, you know, it changed what the kids were doing day to day and how it was affecting the adults and how it affected their culture. I just thought that was very interesting kind of thing that we all need to be aware of, you know, um, I love this story of you going over and getting to go mine, I'm very envious of that experience. And it sounds very different than what I would have imagined um, having a tunnel. And can you, can you describe that a little bit more for us? Yeah. So, so I think it is, um, it is very different from, I also visited the mines in, in Voy in Kenya, and that was very different than the Fairmine gold mines. Um, the Fairmine gold mines are uh, some, most of the mines that we saw go straight into a, into the mountainside. So we weren't going down as much, which immediately that makes me feel better in a space. And then also that you can stand up straight and that you know that there's oxygen and safety there. So the mines were really very uh, safe feeling. And that's different than other mines that I've been to where you can't stand up straight and there's no oxygen or electricity being pumped in and there weren't uh, safety um, pillars and, and um, structures within the mine site. So the way that the gold mines were in, in Fairmind in Columbia, it's, it's very advanced. The standards are very high there, and many mines can't reach those standards. Many, many mines are not able to be certified at that level globally. They're the cream of the crop. 
something to model, you know, after. And yeah, we, we were treated just amazingly at the Fairmine Mines. We were fed every time we showed up, there would be big meals prepared for us at the mines. So wow, it was, wow. A, it was so fun. The first mine had just this giant pot of chicken soup at the mine site and we had a picnic and there were grilled meats and just fresh fruit juices. And I think I gained so much weight. There. <laughs> we had a day when our bus was late and we had to eat um, lunch and then go and do a mine tour and then eat dinner. We had to eat like three, three course, four course meals within three hours. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you weren't starving, that's for sure. We weren't starving. We were treated really, really well. Yeah. The miners were, it was just a big celebration every time we showed up. It was really heartwarming to be able to meet the miners that mined our gold. That is it's so neat to see the person pulling it from the earth. And what's the process like? Is that something you could? The When we visited the mines, we would also see some of the processing. And... It was, um, there were different, there were different mines that had, uh, diff, some of the mines had say more, more than one mine owner in an area. And some of the mines, it was centralized. There were at some of the larger mines, there was one safety person that oversaw it. There was a woman, um, that was a safety person at one of the mines. So there's, uh, somebody in charge of safety at all times. And that's, that's their job. And then the processing plant there, um, was different from mine to mine. And some of the mines, um, use, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not that good at all the technical things. So you may have to <laughs> edit. No worries. Out. It's all good. No worries at all. Um, I love hearing about that. That's really sounds fun. It's something that it's on my bucket list. I'd like to go see, I've, seen images of like Tucson and the, you know, United States mining, but never Columbia and overseas. It sounds really neat. So let's talk about the, the conference that you, I can say you founded this, this idea, Susan, and I'm sure you have some great people working with you to bring it to fruition. The uh, Chicago responsible jewelry conference I've been wanting to attend and uh, actually just went and signed up online as I was looking at you and d digging into all of this really important information uh, and people can still donate to this conference so that when it's up and running again, you guys have what you need to pull it together. Tell, tell me what, what, when did this begin? What was the idea and mission behind it? It began in 2017 and there was a lot. Um, there were some conferences that were, um, jewelry industry summit, people were starting to touch on responsibility. People were talking about it. And I, I thought, let's have a conference around responsible jewelry and talk about everything, gold, diamonds, gemstones, let's hit it all. And let's just start uh, looking at our supply chain and really having a connection to those in our supply chain. So I think by the second year, this is the first or second year, when I actually um, had Roberto Alvarez, who is one of the miners I met in Colombia, come speak. And Roberto had a beautiful mine. He's he's a was a gardener. He'd already done a lot of work to um, to bring this mine to be you know not using mercury to being um, a, a well run environmental mine that was doing everything right. Um, and, and then initiatives come out of things like that. Like Christina Miller was on that trip and we saw that he had mercury and then she started better without mercury, a small initiative. So, um, that bringing those connections, bringing Roberto, um, and he was Fairmind brought him up, um, sponsor that bringing, bringing that connection from the mines here to the U S was really has always been a really important um, part of the conference. We really want people to meet. There's just so much in meeting and understanding. You know, for for a miner to uh, get up and tell his story of, you know, this is how hard it was for me to inherit this mine that was using mercury. It's really a hard, long journey to hear from him. You know, we may have questions like, well, why do you? You know, why do you have to have mercury or why, why do you have to mine that way? Or why don't you just make this switch? But then when you hear, you know, from the miner himself about 
what it takes to have a mind that that's run that well financially and just the basic labor and like devoting yourself to it. It's really important for us to have that understanding and just to connect with those along our supply chain. We've had the Tanzanian Women and Mining Association come. Um, PACT has been a big sponsor for that. Uh, so there's always that connection. We've had um, some of the big gem cutters from India. Dharmandri Tank has come to speak. Um, we've had people from all over and it's become such a, a global event that really brings together people um, to meet, to network, and it's super fun. So you have to come to the next one. We, we have cocktail parties every night. We show a feature film, a documentary. Um, and uh, Andrea Hill from Strategy Works is my partner in the conference. She does a fantastic job of producing everything. And uh, it's it's just a big fun coming together of everyone. We When we tackle big issues, we have human rights watches come and, and they speak. And our U.S. State Department has always had a voice there that's so important to see what our government's doing. Um, so there's NGOs, there's governments, there's just jewelers, you know, like me, like everybody that's just individual jewelers and larger companies. Um, so there's, um, there's just wonderful support and wonderful people that come from all over to talk about what we can do to have a better, more responsible jewelry industry. Hmm. I love this. It's about network, you know, and building that, that network and the understanding through that community. It is online to download some of the videos still, right, from the last virtual? Yeah, the last virtual has uh, videos from almost all of the panels. There are a few of them that um, for human rights issues or, you know, that we weren't able to. But for most of the videos, you can you can see all of the panels and all of the videos. Wonderful. What, would you say this is the, one of the main sources for this type of information for everybody to is there anywhere else you would send us to kind of research more and learn more as things as continue to evolve as well, Susan? There's so much out there now. I think that the conference really does, I, I do a deep dive into topics that I'm interested in. You know, it's um, let's go beyond the basic questions. Let's really get into, um, you know, whether it's we talked about, um, the gold supply, we've been talking about that a lot lately. Let's look beyond what, um, let's look beyond like what we expect in tracing. What's happened with illicit gold? What's the difference with illicit and illegal gold? You know, what does our FBI have to do with that? Let's look at some of these really interesting questions. So I, I, I do that with the conference. I, I do something, I go after something that hasn't been answered yet. And I try and get experts from all over the world to talk about it and to have a conversation around it. But I can say, and I have had, there's um, symposiums and there's a lot of, um, you know, virtual content out there in the conference. But with COVID, there is a lot of content out there. So there's a lot of content from specific groups. So if you have an understanding of, what you're interested in, you can go directly to that group and kind of research that as well. Um, so there's there's so much content out there, and I think everybody should kind of see what's on their radar because there's more dialogue happening now, which is good all around for this movement of responsible jewelry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good to hear. Well, I think that's the writer in you, Susan, probably that like. <laughs> Research, research, and find those sources, right, of yeah. information. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Um, so let's talk a little more about your your work and how, what, are you mostly custom design at this point, Susan? Is that what you do? I'm, I'm in some stores still, and I do trunk shows. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing some of that when I get back. But I do a lot of custom now. So I do, when I, when I produce... Um, a line for a trunk show. It's not so much a line, it's more piece by piece, one of a kind. And that I, I create jewelry with a cause. So when we were talking about sustainable development goals, every piece of jewelry has to have uh, the gold or the gems are, are answering a cause. They're doing something. A lot of the um, jewelry now that I'll be working on 
Um, if I'm doing Fairmine Gold, if I'm doing, um, we might be working with some gold out of Malawi in my Virtue Gem project that's under my nonprofit. I'll be using gems specifically from mines that I know, from women miners that I know, from cutters. So there's there's a cause behind every piece of jewelry. And I do still do custom work. And the clients that I have, they know this. So I give them choices in a lot of the, um, so right now I have somebody that wants to do aquamarine earrings. So I'm giving her, you know, do you want milky aqua? Do you want facet grade aqua? And I offer her only what I know from the mines that I want to use. And they know that. And so, and I can get almost, you know, I can get anything, but it starts from rough now. So all of, um, most of my custom work now starts with rough gems and custom cuts. And then we work from there. And, and I really, my collectors give me a lot of leeway, which is really nice as far as time goes. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. Well, you're sl- it, I'm sure sh- it might slow down that process. Like you can't click an order overnight, like you mentioned, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, and I, I bet that's like a natural filtration for the type of client that you want to work with as well. I think there's a point in our careers where we get to choose a little bit and say no to certain things. And that there's, you know, a lot of strength and power in that, but yeah, they've, they find you because you are touching things in the way that you do. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and there's, there's still jewelry addicts out there. You know, there's a lot of jewelry addicts. So <laughs> I don't know if that's ever going to go away, you guys. <laughs> I don't think so. One of the um, oldest craft businesses, right, you know, in existence. Yeah. So, Yeah, so I, I do steer the custom cl- um, clients towards the materials that I want to use. Um, so was there any point in your career where you were like, all right, I'm not going to do jewelry anymore. I'm going to throw in the towel and do something different. Did you ever have, have that moment? No. <laughs> no, never, huh? It was always jewelry. Yeah. I'm addicted to gems and I'm addicted to creating jewelry. So that wasn't possible. And I've had a lot of people ask me that after I started the conference and now um, my nonprofit, uh, and it t- takes up a lot of time. Like you said, research, research, research. I'm researching all the time. But um I think if I stopped making jewelry, I don't feel like my knowledge would be as relevant. I mean, I, I could easily just research and um, do all the projects that I'm doing, but I just feel that keeping my roots as a jewelry designer is very important in, in what I'm doing and that connection that I have to our jewelry industry. And I love my jewelry designer friends. I love, you know, I love our jewelry industry. I love all the friends that I have in all areas of the industry. Um, so I wouldn't want to be an outsider. You know, I think that's an important part of um, not only the conference, but my nonprofit is that, you know, it's connecting the jewelry world to the NGOs, the government, the supply chain. Like, I don't want to be an outsider connecting in. I, I love the jewelry industry. I love being a part of it. Yeah. It's a really great community. You know, everybody's just seems so connected and it's small, but large, you know, kind of a yeah. big city, small town kind of thing. Yeah. I've really enjoyed being a part of it myself. And, uh, oh, that's cool. So yeah, I was never, I love your answer. You're just like, no, never thought of stuff. <laughs> And are you, uh, have you ever taught jewelry or? Oh, no. No, <laughs> not a teacher, huh? Not a teacher. Well, maybe not a hands-on. What about your kiddos, have they? My daughter really knows her gems. Nice. She she knows her gems, um, you know, and, and she has her style, which is not mom's jewelry anymore. It was when she was little, but she's grown out of that, so. Do you pay attention to, to trends in the industry and, and what's kind of going as, as far as that goes? I guess there's a new generation coming up behind us, maybe two or three behind us. I don't know. You know, I know that's changing too. You have a lot of press out there, Susan, which is really cool to read and see. And a lot of that seemed like you were kind of keeping an eye on, on that. Do you look at that or do you just make to make? I make to make. I mean, I think Obviously, I'm biased, but I really do believe the biggest trend is being responsible in jewelry and that that is the big driver for the next generations of of purchasers and buyers. Our end consumers, 
coming up are going to be hyper aware of this and they're really going to um, see uh, what's good, you know, what's, what's working and they're going to see through, you know, if, if things aren't good in the jewelry industry. And so we really have to work on being vigilant to make things good everywhere. Um, as far as trends, I have always been a, a big gold person in my jewelry and I have, you know, uh, friends and we know all the designers out there with the Brooklyn style and the tiny teeny, which, you know, I totally respect, but I think, um, I think I really don't follow the trends now, you know, like I, I have my, I have my method. I have the, the sculptures that I do and really the, besides being, um, driven and in new jewelry being driven by a cause, you know, like I said, I am a gem addict, so I'm designing around gems a lot too. And, um, some of the gems, I think, um, the trends that are following gems really have to do with, some of the drivers are the the bigger companies that you know have brought Aqua and Morganite into popularity, but really designers and and what we love in cuts and what we love in gems, I think drive a lot of the um, drive a lot of the popularity as well. And one of the things in um, in the Virtue Gem program that I we talk to the cutters a lot about is is cutting around the gem. You know, um, talking about Brazilians and the way that they cut stones. You know, cut cut around the gems for the beauty of the stones. So I think that um, that tends to drive which uh, gemstones are popular. Tend to drive some of the the new trends. And um, I think that yeah, the the trends just kind of. I don't know, flow along with what's with what's coming out of the mines, with what the cutters are doing. I think we're all, I think we're symbiotic in making trends, I guess. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm glad I asked that kind of out of nowhere question. <laughs> it got you to share a little bit more about that. I think that's so interesting. Um, and also one of the big questions that I had for you, Susan, was what do you think is most important, of course, for the next generations of makers and consumers alike, uh, because things are definitely shifting and changing, hopefully, and sticking <laughs> would be be nice, you know, if things were really going to move. And I think that was one of my fears about this pause that we all took is like, okay, are we just going to jump back into the moving quickly, uh, that urgency that, that we feel, I think, in this country especially, or, or did we actually learn to, to take a break and take a breath and value things a little bit differently. Yeah. I think it's important to see it, it has been a break for some. I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the Amazon and what's been happening there because although it's been a break for some, there's been areas in globalization where COVID is, is still happening and where some of the effects um, were, were more negative and, and were difficult of, uh, the last time that we met in person, 2019, I had two chiefs from the Amazon Brazil come up to talk about what could be done to keep them safe from illegal miners. And during COVID, the mining in Brazil continued and it wasn't it wasn't shut down. And the problems with illegal miners throughout the Amazon in Brazil is, is a big problem for gold. The illegal gold miners there have been bringing mercury in, causing deforestation. Amazon Aid is running a cleaner gold campaign to talk about this. And it's it's very important, I think, for all of us to understand uh, our gold supply chain and what can be done and, and what we should do to keep it safe. There's a lot of repercussions uh, with the gold that we use. And it's difficult for us because gold is, it's a commodity and people are going to, you know, want to use it in ways other than we do. And so it's hard for us to understand um, what's good in our supply chain with gold and what's not. Yeah. I love that you're keeping a pulse on this for us, Susan, <laughs> and with us and, you know, sharing this, the resource of the conference and uh, your new, is it a newer nonprofit, The Virtue? Uh, it's the Responsible Jewelry Transformative. So from the conference, uh, I started the Responsible Jewelry Transformative, which just formalized as a nonprofit uh, about a year ago. 
And at the conference, there were a lot of initiatives that were begun. We were doing a safety equipment drive for the Tanzanian Women's Mining Association. We also donated equipment to the Kenyan Women's Mining Association. And there were initiatives that were just beginning out of need, whether they were initiatives that other people started after the conference or that were started during the conference. Uh, so the Responsible Jewelry Transformative started um, working virt- with Virtue Gem was a program that started right at COVID because when the when the nonprofit began, basically COVID hit. And there were miners that were planning on going to a conference that I was collaborating with AJAC, Africa, Canada, um, AJAC, which is uh, African gemstone exhibition group. And they were doing a conference in Zambia and I was going to go over there uh, to Zambia and co-collaborate on the conference. And so Monica Gachui, who's one of the founders with Virtue Gem and Jessica Hudson, and I were going to go over and co-collaborate and there were going to be gemstone miners from all over Africa that were going to show there. So it was like a, a, a kind of a little mini gem fair along with the conference. And so Monica said, well, what are we going to, how are we going to help all of these gemstone miners? Now they've lost their markets because of the shutdown with COVID. They have no place to sell their gems. So let's start a virtual market. And so that's what we did. And so this is one of the initiatives of the nonprofit. And um, we started with just... Uh, working in Zambia. Now we're in Zambia, Kenya, and Malawi, and we have a second World Bank grant to help us get through the year and continue um, helping the gemstone miners to sell. That is so wonderful, man. Yeah, I think everything was like, okay, let's go online. <laughs> what are we yeah. going to do? Yeah, but that's not always easy for, you know, to to pivot that quickly. What a wonderful endeavor. I don't know how you have time to make jewelry, Susan, and do <laughs> and do all of this for the, the industry and uh, worldwide. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Any Anything new that you're working on? It sounds like you have enough, <laughs> enough in process. And it's, it's all so fascinating to me. Yeah, I'm doing the, the, the conference um, will be in person again. And um, probably a hybrid program because we really don't want to, we want to be able to include all of our international speakers and our international audience. It's the most, one of the most valuable things there. And through the nonprofit, we have Virtue Gem, which is a fantastic program. It's virtuegem.com. If you want to look at it and see the gemstones we have, I'm also working in diamonds um, with the Marengi community in Zimbabwe and uh, helping to bring a voice to the community members there where there are human rights abuses. And we're working on a project where they uh, will be sharing human rights and human rights that are linked to laws with other community members so that people in the community understand their human rights. And so that's a project that I'm now doing at the Responsible Jewelry Transformative. And then I'm working with Amazon Aid Foundation and... um, you know, involved with the Cleaner Gold campaign and working on um, showing The River of Gold, which is a movie that's been showing in the industry that everyone should see about deforestation in the Amazon and um, talking about, you know, within my own nonprofit, how can we, how can we help, um, you know, my friends that are in the indigenous communities to, to have a voice um, that live in the Amazon and how can we help, you know, bring that voice forward and um, have them speaking about what they're going through and what they think they can do to help um, the Amazon in their communities that are kind of getting overridden by these illegal gold miners. So there's, you know, there's always so much happening in our jewelry industry. I mean, we have a lot, we have a lot with the gold and the diamonds and the gems and, you know, Fairmind does silver as well for everyone out there that designs in silver. So I just keep on reading those news alerts and, and looking into what we can discuss in the future. Yeah. And where do we find you, Susan? How do we, how do we keep in touch with you and see your new work? There's uh, Susan Wheeler design is uh, my website, but mostly just um, the Responsible Jewelry Transformative. And, um, you know, I'm big on Instagram like every other Mm -hmm. (laughs) jeweler out there. Yeah, of course, the IG. Um, 
what about donations? What can we do to help help you continue this research and continue to connect in this way? The the website Responsible Jewelry Conference. Yeah, uh, we take donations through there, so that's that's a fantastic help. And um, you know, it's a the conference and all of the work is pretty grassroots, and it's I like it to be grassroots because we don't want to I don't want to have to rely on um, on on a large funder that you know you don't want to be beholden to somebody. You want to be able to have autonomy because. There's a lot of things out there that we want to be able to tackle and feel like we can do that freely. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine every little bit would help, you know? Every little bit helps. And, and every every little bit helps, but every designer, every individual that kind of joins this movement of responsible jewelry is so important. And that's the, that's a big thing is that everybody should join. And we really are the most fun area of the industry. We're just like the most fun people. So, <laughs> so if you come to the conference, you'll come to like really fun cocktail parties. And I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm already on the plane. <laughs> I am so there, Susan, and I'm so happy to connect with you today and um, to give you the opportunity to share all of this fantastic work and important work that you're doing uh, for our industry. I hope you guys all gained a little bit of insight. There's like Susan says, it's, it's our responsibility to go in and really do the research ourselves and understand and help. I think so uh, every place that every, where we touch each piece, it does have a lot of meaning and significance. I know as makers, and this is a whole other layer. That's just, I love it. I'm, I've learned so much. Thank you, Susan. And, I appreciate it. And um, we'll see you at the conference for sure, if not sooner. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Onward and upward. Stay tuned and we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Susan. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of For the Love of Jewelers. Stay tuned for the next episode by subscribing through Spotify, iTunes, or by searching podcast at riograndecom I encourage you to rate us, write a review, and share with friends and colleagues. I hope you're all finding ways to stay inspired. I'm your host, Courtney Gray. Until we get to connect again, onward and upward.